Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. Kicking the show off this week is the Southern Hemisphere Derby, that is the Rugby World Cup semi-finals. The Silver Ferns suffered their second loss of the Constellation Cup. New Zealand's best rowers have been overlooked for the World Rowing Awards. It's do or die for the men's black sticks as they have one last crack at qualifying for Rio 2016. The Black Caps have crossed the ditch in their bid for their first Test Series victory over Australia in Australia in 30 years. Plus we chat to the man who secured the Wellington Phoenix their first win of the A-League season. Before we take a look at this weekend's semi-final action at the Rugby World Cup, a quick recap on how we got to this weekend's showdown. South Africa came from behind to beat Wales 23-19 in the last five minutes of their match. The All Blacks put to bed any ideas of a French voodoo at Cardiff, beating France 62-13 to redeem their 2007 quarter-final defeat. Australia had a come-from-behind win over Scotland, 35-34, though it was a contentious one with Craig Jabeer copping flack from World Rugby for incorrectly giving a penalty to Australia in the final minutes of the game. And Argentina made short work of Ireland, beating the then world number three side 43-20 to set up an all-Southern Hemisphere semi-final showdown. Now looking ahead to this weekend. The All Blacks coach Steve Hansen says his South African counterpart is playing mind games in the build-up to the Rugby World Cup semi-final clash at Twickenham on Sunday. Hansen's made just one change to the starting 15 for the match, with Joe Murdy replacing the injured White Crockett at loosehead prop. Our man on the ground in London, Alex coogan has the details. There's been plenty of talk about mutual respect between the All Blacks and South Africa this week, leading up to the most important meeting between the two sides since the infamous 95 World Cup final. After naming an unchanged starting 15 for the match, the Springboks coach, Heineke Meyer, called this All Black side the greatest of all time and spoke of the special relationship he's formed with his rival coach, Steve Hansen. He says a tradition has been started between the pair since they first met in a match. First time I've lost, I was very down, and he came over, and I think that's great about rugby. I didn't know Steve. Came over and brought me a beer and said, listen, you know, I know how you feel. I know the pressure on you, and, you know, just have a, a beer with me, and I really respect that. I said, the oh, first time we'll beat you, I'll bring you a case of beer. We've got a tradition now, so hopefully, Steve, on Saturday I can give him a beer and bring him a... Full case of beers. However friendly their relationship might be, Hansen remains wary of Meyer's kind words. He says all the praise for the All Blacks is a deliberate tactic from the Springboks coach. He's a cunning wee devil, is uh, Heineken. He, he, he's been praising us all week, and uh, whilst I know uh, he means some of it, at the same time I know um, they are getting ready to rip our heads off. And, and we need to be in that same state. You know, if we get caught up in, in uh, lapping up all the 
praise, then we won't be in the right mental state uh, to play. While the match may not be as physical as the coach suggests, the Springboks have long based their game around their strong forwards, who will try to outmuscle the All Blacks and control the pace of the game. The Lock Brody Retallick says they're well prepared for that style of play and believes they can match them in that area. You can see they've come out in the media and said that that's what they're going to do, so I guess that's what we expect them to do, and that's the type of rugby they're playing at the moment, so we're going to have to step up in it, and it's going to be a challenge, but I think that's something that the four packs are looking forward to. The All Blacks are well aware of the buzz their 62-13 demolition of France has created among fans back home after a nervy start to the tournament. Dan Carter especially received plenty of hype after turning in a vintage performance, but says the side's already moved on. That's the challenge for us, and you know, my mate Aaron Smith here uh, has been moaning all tournament about having a sore back from carrying me all, all World Cup, so it's about time I uh, sort of had a decent game. Um, but, you know, to be honest, you, you talk to you know, your mates, you're just sick of hearing about it, to be honest, and just you're wanting to focus on this week and, and uh, not look back. The only change to the All Blacks starting team is at loosehead prop with Joe Moody replacing the injured White Crockett. Crockett's expected to be fit for the next match, but the Chiefs prop Poliasi Manu is travelling to the United Kingdom on standby. And Alex Kugan-Reyes managed to find time out while following the All Blacks to catch up with South African journalist Vata Gobini to find out what his expectations are for this weekend's match. There's a, there's a long history. Uh, if you go back to the past, um, the All Blacks are always a team that a lot of um, non-white South Africans followed, and there's still a huge number of South Africans who follow the All Blacks, non-white South Africans, who follow the All Blacks, um, but then just on purely rap itself, you know, they are the ultimate. They, they've been you know, world champions, they've been the number one team for a long time, and um, I think there's a great rivalry between the two nations, they're a healthy one. And you see that Super Rugby has all, and the, you know, their teams play, South African and New Zealand teams play. And that, it just goes to, it goes into the, an all-black Springbok test match. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it is the ultimate test match for any South African and hopefully for any New Zealand as well. And Steve touched on the politics involved in South African rugby a bit. How much do you think that hurts um, South African rugby? It's, it's always hurt South African rugby. I think it's always hurt South Africa in general. You look back at the last hundred years, um, South Africa has been a country that has had laws based on race, on segregation. Um, and obviously there, there's a need to redress what's, what's gone wrong in the past. And unfortunately in that redress, um, certain people have to be uh, given more access or opportunities than others. Um, it's a good and a bad thing, um, but it's it's a reality of, of our country, for of our past, um, our present, and obviously, hopefully, where we want to go is to eventually get to a place where there is no need for such. And I think uh, when you look at Saifin up in totality, there's a lot of dishonesty on on on, on selection, on team selection, on, on players. Um, and I think the onus becomes on the coaches and administrators within South African rugby, to be honest, because there's, there's more than enough players of colour in the game and more than enough we excel, whether it's at school level or junior international level. Um, and the question is, why, why not see those players in Super Rugby and, and playing for the Springboks? There's no reason why they, they shouldn't be there. So I think with the problems we have in our country, um, there are solutions 
you know, being muted, but um, I think there needs to be a, a greater effort from the authorities um, to make it happen. And looking now at the rugby, South Africa obviously had a pretty awful start to this World Cup. How do you think they bounced back from it? Uh, I think the loss to Japan was good. Um, the players will tell you it wasn't good, but it, it was probably good. It was a, it was a good wake-up call for the Springboks. Um, but more than anything, I think it, the, the, the real resolve of this team you know, got tested and, and they came through flying colours. Uh, the way they played against Samoa, the way they, they played against Scotland, and to finish off their pool games against the USA was, was fantastic. And I think that in itself made them not just battle-hardened, but it, it put them in a mental space where they could overcome teams like Wales in the quarterfinals, and um, it's put them in a good space, headspace, to be able to face the All Blacks and and probably not find themselves on the wrong side of the score like faster. Alex Coogan Reeves there talking to South African journalist Vata Gobini. The former All Blacks captain and coach Sir Brian Lahore believes if the All Blacks can reproduce a performance similar to last week, then they should be able to beat South Africa. Lahore had plenty of healthy exchanges with the Springboks during his playing career and was manager when the All Blacks lost to them in the 1995 final. Rugby reporter Barry Guy asked Sir Brian of his thoughts of the team so far in the tournament. I think they've been very measured in, in where they've come from and where they are and uh, I thought last uh, Saturday's performance was uh, excellent, you know, just what we wanted really and uh, so looking forward to the rest of the tournament and uh, certainly enjoyed it up till now. The All Blacks, uh, can you see any uh, issues there or have they got most things covered? <laughs> the issue is the opposition, of course. We don't know how they're going to play. Um, I think they're, they're probably comfortable with what they've got, but you don't know what the opposition's going to throw up at you. And, uh, you know, that's when good teams become great teams if you can um, think on your feet and, uh, you know, adjust to, to what's happening in front of you. You're, you know, you'll do okay. And the South Africans, of course, they had that loss first up, but they've sort of been, you know, on the rise ever since. Yeah, I think that was a hell of a shock to them and uh, probably uh, one way of shocking yourself into playing better rugby. Um, Yeah, they have actually played a lot better since. Um, You know, it's hard to say how good they really are, um, but they're always, you know, very strong against us. They know us. They're, they're, uh, you know, our traditional foes, so, uh, you know, it won't be easy. The last couple of years, we've only... They've, they've won one, I think we've won two, and there hasn't been more than seven points in it. Would you expect, you know, uh, a, a similar sort of tussle? I'd hope to think there was more in it than that, but uh, I, I think it will be a tough tussle. They're strong up front. And and I think people have forgotten, uh, they've got quite new players in the midfield that we haven't seen much of, and they... They, um, you know, they gave us a bit of a tonguing uh, in South Africa this year in the, in the rugby championship, and uh, I think they're they're much stronger than the than the old midfield. Is there a lot of sort of a mental thing, you know, at the stage of a tournament? Oh yes, I I was never worried about them playing France and Cardiff because of what had happened previously, uh, both in two oh seven and two eleven. You know, when they were not seen as great opponents. Um, so we're always going to be up for that match. I just hope that the All Blacks um, 
can readjust, you know, obviously have a little bit of a, a spell, uh, then readjust to, to the Saturday. And if they play as well as they did last Saturday against South Africa, um, it'll take a hell, of a hell of a team effort by South Africa to beat us. And what about your experiences uh, with the South Africa? Just tell us about, um, you know, the rivalry there. Uh, well, they were great hosts. Um, it's a great place to tour. Um, and they they really do look after you uh, from a per, on a personal level. But uh, when you get out on the field, uh, you know it's war. Really, it's uh, you 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 against them, and uh, if you're not strong enough, you you lose. Sir Brian Lahore talking to Barry Guy. The Silver Ferns have lost their first two matches in the four Test Constellation Cup series in New Zealand meaning the Australian Diamonds are all but guaranteed the trophy for another year. After going down 50-44 to in Christchurch, the Ferns were again outclassed in Auckland, 58-48. to A poor final five minutes cost the Silver Ferns any chance of redemption in Game 2. The Ferns were four goals down with five minutes to play in the fourth quarter before the floodgates opened and Australia added six more points to the deficit. The Silver Ferns coach Waimanama Tamonu says that just can't happen when playing the world champion Australian side. It was a great game um, and I know just quickly looking at um, what we did that we actually probably played a safer, more secure game and got a little bit more ball off them this tonight than we did on Tuesday. So the things that we set out to do, um, I thought we did better but I thought the Australians were better tonight as well. What really hurt the Ferns though was Caitlin Bassett and Natalie Medhurst who shot at 95% compared to New Zealand's 87 but Timoni says the problem doesn't lie with New Zealand shooters. We need to try and stop that shooting circle, but it's a very good Australian shooting circle. We'll keep working at it. Um, I think we've got the best defenders in the country here, and so we've got to keep working at it. When asked what she thought gave Australia the edge over their trans-Tasman rivals, Australia's captain Laura Geitz put it down to Gretel Tippett's shift from goal attack to wing attack in the final quarter to throw the ferns out of kilter. Tippett, who towers over her opponents at 1m92, dwarfed New Zealand's wing defence Kayla Cullen, and Geitz believe that helped her team win at the end of the day. She's obviously come from a basketball background and she's a very unorthodox player and a very hard player to defend and I think she was a definitely a, I think Lise timed it perfectly in the change and just offered something else out there for us and really lifted the team out there. The next match is in Melbourne on Sunday. On a slightly lighter note, the All Blacks have found an unusual ally in Diamonds coach Lisa Alexander who, by her own admission, is a die-hard rugby fan. When asked who she thought would win this weekend's semi-finals at their post-match press conference in Auckland, Alexander gave this response. I said to you, you'll beat the French, no problem, and people didn't believe me. You know, I watch rugby, and, um, you know, I think the All Blacks learnt from 2007 they were never going to let that happen again. You know, not with those players that were still in the team then as babies. There's no way that Richie McCourt was going to... No, I just knew they'd smash him. So, you know, um, and also the French wore red tops. I mean, for goodness sake, they're all like, what is it? Allez les bleus. Anyway, that's another thing. Um, so I think the All Blacks will win against South Africa. I think they've got the fitness and the system and the mental edge to, do the, to, do, to complete that and get to the final. We've got a tough one, there's no doubt about that. Argentina are playing really well. It's depending on our scrum. I'm nervous about that. Our forwards have to play well. That was the expert comments from Australian netball coach Lisa Alexander. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by Radio New Zealand Sport.
Rowing New Zealand's Chief Executive Simon Peterson has labelled the decision to overlook this country's achievements at the Sports Annual Rowing Awards as bizarre. Despite New Zealand winning five gold medals at the recent World Championships in France, with Hamish Bond and Eric Murray continuing their unbeaten run in the pair and claiming their sixth world title, they've been snubbed at the Global Awards. And rowing's world governing body FISA has considered the sport as tired of New Zealand winning so often. Mr Peterson told our reporter Richard Wayne that it's strange that no New Zealand-based coaches or athletes were included in the finalists, despite rowing New Zealand making five nominations. Yeah, Rowan New Zealand's very disappointed in the response that's been provided to no no recognition for our achievements during the year in terms of these finalists. It's not going to make the boat go faster or slower. We're just going to move on and, and accept it as a decision that it is, but the reasons given are a bit bizarre. Yeah, what were you told? What were the reasons that FISA, the Rowing World Governing Body, gave you for this decision? We were told uh, on a phone call last night, New Zealand time, that uh uh, multiple success over recent years uh, meant that uh, the international body were looking for a little bit of um, newness to their finalists and a refreshing of who might receive these awards. So that was pretty hard to take when you understand the commitment and the dedication of our coaches and our athletes and what they do to achieve on the world stage. Yes, because surely it's up to the rest of the world to beat you and earn that place at the top of the podium and on the award stage. Yeah, completely respectful for the results of uh, the crews who are finalists. They've done very well in their own right, and we're not suggesting we should have a finalist in every category that's for someone else to decide. But when you've got a, a coach like Gary Hay, who's won uh, three world championships this year alone and doesn't make the final three coach award finalists, then it, it does beg the question as to what you need to do to get there. I mean, would you agree this makes a bit of a farce of the awards? That's certainly what it seems like to this journalist. I wouldn't call it a farce. I'd certainly call it a, a little bit bizarre in terms of their treatment of New Zealand, but I think um, you would hope that they have uh, considered other countries on a slightly different um, basis because the awards are important to athletes and coaches, uh, maybe not in the moment, but maybe in 10 years after they've finished their careers and looking back on what they achieved in particular years. So disappointed, a little bit bizarre, but we're moving on. What do the athletes themselves think? Uh, Mahi Drysdale responded to uh, our tweet on this story. He tweeted that it's not a bad problem to have. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre, it's a sort of backhanded comment, really, to have so much success over recent times and to therefore not be considered for current success. It's, it's not going to affect the athletes, and I know that they're not, uh, not concerned at all. Eric and Hamish themselves have both stated publicly that they're quite interested in seeing the new crews coming through and getting that re- recognition. But... Um, you know, as I say, we'll just move on from here and accept the year, fantastic year that we've had and, and do it again, all again next year, when it counts. And rowing New Zealand Chief Executive Simon Peterson is referring there to next year's Rio Olympics, where they're hoping to win a number of gold medals. Following the news of their snub, Stephen Houston spoke to Hamish Bond about the possibility of he and Eric being victims of their own success. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, a little bit of fatigue. You know, they, they were expected to win, um, and if we don't, you know, when you're at the top, there's only one way to go. So all you can do, all we can do, is, is meet expectations. I guess, and our expectations are to win, and other people's expectations are for us to win. So, in some ways, we're not exceeding expectations, which perhaps is a parameter of um, their selection criteria for the for the World Rowing Awards. Does something like this motivate you 
personally? I mean, some athletes would see this as a, a snub and use that as some kind of motivation to perform even better. Is, does that thing kind of thing work for you? Um, no, I, I can't say. I've you know, not, not been nominated this year isn't going to motivate me any more or less. I mean, I still have... Uh, my goals and, and what I want to achieve and, and um, whether I get recognised for that um, is, is neither here nor there I think mainly what you're after when you're competing I think is first and foremost um, respect from well knowing within yourself that you've uh, given a good shot and given a good account of yourself and then probably Following on from that would be respect from your teammates and, and the people who have invested a lot into you being able to get on the international stage and perform well. I mean, those are the people that I feel as I, I owe something to and, and those are the people I want to perform well for. And, and then I guess part of that being the publicly funded sport, um, yeah, that, that's a representative of um, the whole country, really. I mean, they, they all support us, whether they whether they know it or not or like it or not, and it's not lost on us. So that's really what we're um, competing for, not, not um, I guess, titles that are handed out at the end of the year. Hamish Bond speaking to Stephen Hewson. Taking a look at hockey now, and the New Zealand men's Black Sticks team have one last chance to qualify for the Rio Olympics next year. The Oceania Cup, which is being held in Stratford, is a series between New Zealand, Australia, Fiji and Samoa. While Fiji and Samoa don't pose much of a threat to the Black Sticks, the world champion Australians do. New Zealand have to win the Cup to qualify for the Olympics, but they've already lost to Australia. Meanwhile, the women's Black Sticks team are also playing in the competition, but they've already qualified for Rio. Barry Guy spoke to men's Black Sticks coach Colin Batch about the difficulties they face trying to take down Australia. We can dwell on that a lot or we can just uh, focus on what we have to improve during the game and what we have to develop over the next couple of days. And the fact is it's a great opportunity for us. So that's uh, that's our view of it. It's, um, um, you know, we are playing uh, the number one in the world, but um, whenever we play Australia, it's always a you know, great rivalry. So... You know, we're not going to be overawed by the situation. It's uh, more of an opportunity for us to perform at a, at a very high level. And, you know, you say you've had some changes since the last time you played them, but th- that series against India, um, how do you think that has got you ready? A full valuable game for us. Uh, we only won the one, but it wasn't just about winning Um I think you learn more from uh, difficult situations that you're in during a series, and India put us in some difficult situations, and I think it's those uh, occasions during the match that we'll learn a lot from and uh, prepare as well for the Aussie matches. And the Australians, uh, we all, you know, obviously, for various reasons, know uh, how strong they are in anything they do. Um, How do you think... They're going into the series. Obviously, there's a, a title on the line for them. Yeah, they. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They've got a, a great pride in um, their performance, and they are big occasion players. And it's not often that they lose uh, crunch matches. So we've seen that over, you know, the last decade, I, I, I guess. But um, we did beat them in the final earlier this year. So we'll be drawing on some of that experience. Um, they're. Um, Eyes, I guess, uh, are also on their preparation for World League Four, which occurs in December. So 
um, I'm not really spending too much time worrying about what their uh, preparation has been like and what their uh, focus is. It's uh, more about our own preparation and we know that Australia are, are always well prepared so we have to be at our best. Uh, and uh, I see you have uh, some more first up. Um, do you know anything about them really? No, nah, not not a great deal. Um, you know, they aren't they are ranked uh, you know, well outside the you know, the top twenty and um uh, again we can learn some bad habits in that game if we don't focus on uh the things we want to improve. Um the the match probably not going to have the same intensity as the Aussie game, so we have to be um quite disciplined in uh, maintaining our, our focus, our structure, our move, ball movements are uh, an important factor against Australia. So it's those sorts of things that we'll uh, we'll want to do well um, and take into the, the match against Australia on Thursday. Colin Batch speaking to Barry Guy. And speaking of New Zealanders trying to take down their Aussie neighbours, the Black Caps are in the lucky country to try and win their first Test Series against Australia in Australia in 30 years. New Zealand starts their tour off with three matches against the Prime Minister's eleven before their first test against Australia next month. The series is significant for a number of reasons, most notably for the historic pink ball test, which will be played in Adelaide. Tim Southey, who captained the Black Caps in their first match against the Prime Minister's eleven, spoke to media about the possibility of becoming just the second New Zealand side to record a test series victory against Australia in their own backyard. Yeah, but I think you also got a got to keep your feet on the ground and and um, and not get too far ahead of yourselves. They're, they're not going to lie down. They're, they're Australian sportsmen. They, they don't tend to lie down for too long. They'll be hurting from from what happened in England in the Ashes. And, and I guess it's a, it's a chance for them to start afresh with a, with a few new personnel in their, in their side and a chance to, I guess, for them to stake claims for, for, for the years to come. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not going to be easy, but, um, but there will be a few fresh faces there. For those reasons that you've just cited, are you sensing an opportunity? Yeah, well, I think that and the way that we've been playing, I think I, I touched on earlier with the, the unbeaten for, for seven or eight test series so far, so um, we're playing reasonably reasonably good cricket as well, but as I say, one of the strengths is we haven't got too far ahead of ourselves and, and that won't change the series. Are you doing much pink ball work in the lead up to, I guess, this warm-up game in the first test, or is that sort of waiting till between second and third? Um, we had the week in Hamilton a couple of weeks ago and it was nice to, to get everyone together and have a have a hit out with the pink ball, but our focus now switches back to, to the red ball. Obviously two very important test matches to go before we can switch our focus back to the pink ball. Do you think uh, Australia have a newfound respect for the Black Caps after the World Cup, particularly with their naming of the uh, Prime Minister's eleven? Um, yeah, well, I guess uh, I think we've I guess earned a little bit more respect with the way we've played cricket over the last last couple of years. So, um, yeah, but uh, but they're, they're, as I say, they're, they're going to be a strong side themselves, but I think we can take a little bit of credit for the way that we've played cricket over the last couple of years. How important do you see these uh, warm-up games in terms of trying to get used to the conditions over there? Yeah, it's it's nice to get the team together and have a couple of couple of practice games. Um, the guys had a good hit out, and some guys found some form in, in Plunkett Shield cricket last week. So that was nice, and, and um, it's a chance to, to keep keep pushing and get ready for the for the first test over over the next couple of weeks. Have you sort of stopped to think about how it would actually feel to win a Test Series in Australia? Like, where would that rank for you as a cricketer come the end of your career? I think it's always a, a tough place to go, and, and um, I think you look at people that do well in Australia, people sort of stand up and take note. Um, 
because of the history that cricket uh, cricket is in Australia and and as I said, it's not an easy place to go. Um, we haven't won a series there for, for 30 years, so it's, uh, it, it just shows you how tough a place it is to go and win a, win a, win a test series. We had a little taste of, of victory over there last time we were there in the, in the Hobart test, so um, a few of the guys will have fond memories going back there. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's crossed everyone's mind, the, I guess, what could happen. Um, but I think, again, the strength of the side is we don't get too far ahead ourselves. We'll take each, each day as it comes. We've got a, got a couple of warm-up games before we can actually fully focus on that first test match in Brisbane. How, is it a motivating factor for you though, making those, like say, those memories and making history? Yeah, it is. I think that's why you play the game, to go and, go and achieve achieve things like that. And um, and yeah, it will be, I guess, if, if that does come true and, and we can go over there and, and achieve something, um, I'm sure it'll be something that uh, will rank very highly among among all players. Tim Southey. Finally, the Wellington Phoenix recorded their first win of the A-League season when they beat Perth 2-1 in Perth in round two of the competition. A late header off a corner from defender Vince Lear found the back of the net to secure the win and Lear's first goal in more than four years in the A-League. Barry Guy caught up with Lear to gauge his thoughts on the hard-fought win. The stats weren't great on the, on I guess the football side wasn't as, as fluent as it was the week before, but I thought away from home we were pretty good, we were the better team and I think we deserved the, the three points. Why is that? Are you getting some good midfield? I mean, or the movement? Um, yeah, I think so. I think the movement in midfield's good. Um, Mikey and Rolly have been getting on the ball and doing really well. Um, Roy up front was dangerous on the weekends. We've got a good team. We um, we played well the first week and just didn't finish our chances. So so we knew that um, we the football was, was good and it wasn't panic stations. Um, and then we obviously went to Perth and got three points. So now we're back in the mix and got a home game Saturday. So Brisbane... Uh, 100% so far, I mean, uh, does that surprise you at all? Have you seen much of their football? I watched the first, their first game and they were good. Um, no, nah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Brisbane's a good team. They've got championship winners in their team still from, from a few years ago. and um, um, They've picked up Corona in the midfield. I think it's been really good for them. So I'm not surprised that they're, they're two from two. Um, so, you know, coming to Wellington's a, a different proposition for them and, and we're, we're trying to make uh, the Westpac a bit of a fortress. Um, We've lost the first home game, so we need to, to pick up three points on Saturday. What sort of game? Ernie was mentioned it could be quite open. Yeah, I think so. I think both teams like to play attacking, attacking football. Um, Brisbane's probably started that whole philosophy with with Postacoglu going there and, and the way that they kind of started started playing. And, and Ernie's very attack minded himself, so I think uh, you'll definitely see goals. And uh, both teams are going to try and play definitely. How does that affect uh, defence, though? I mean, you can't get too excited, I suppose, because the counter-attack can happen very yeah, quickly. Yeah, that's right, and it's, that's something we, we looked to, to fix from last season. We caught, got caught a lot in transition. When we had the ball, we lost it, and, and we conceded a few goals that way, so, so that's something we've worked on. Um, the defender's first job is to, is to defend, so we're, we, we need to be better set up when we have the ball, uh, so if it breaks down, we can, uh, we can stop the counter-attack. And uh, the attacking threats from uh, Brisbane. I did see a couple of good goals, I think, in the highlights show earlier this week. So, um, you know, what, do you just close marking? How do you... Yeah, look, I think it's the same for, for every team. Um, there's always dangerous players on their team. Brisbane's no different. They've got, they've got Bruch in behind. Um, McLaren and, and Barella scored a few goals on the weekend. So Matt Mackay as well is a Socceroos. So they've got some, some dangerous players going forward. But, um, you know, I think we've got the defence that can... Vince Lear there talking to Barry Guy.
And that's extra time for this week. Feedback is always welcome via our Twitter at RNZ Sport or our email sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chatterton. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.